I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. A Kansas man was shot and killed last week after his dog accidentally set off a rifle in the back seat of his truck. 30-year-old Joseph Austin Smith was driving down a road in Sumner County with his dog, hunting gear, and a rifle stowed in the back seat. At some point during the drive, the dog stepped on the rifle's trigger, and a single round was fired through the seat into Smith's back. Medical professionals administered first aid at the scene, but Smith was killed instantly. If this story sounds familiar, well, there's a reason. We recently covered the story of another man in Turkey who was shot over Thanksgiving weekend when his dog stepped on a shotgun. In 2018, a New Mexico man was shot when, like Smith, he left his dog and a loaded rifle in the backseat of his truck. That same year, another man was shot by his dog in Iowa. He had a handgun holstered in a belly band, and the gun went off when his dog jumped on his stomach. In 2015, a dog with the unfortunate name of Trigger accidentally shot his owner in the foot after she left a loaded shotgun on the ground with the safety off. What does all this mean? It's not that the dogs are revolting. I can say for sure that safe gun handling does not stop when you set a gun down. Best practice, open the action if you're going to be out of contact of the shotgun. Always have the safety on. This is basic, basic stuff. We all get complacent, which is why you need to use your adult communication skills. And I'm talking to you like your children, okay? Because this is stuff that we all need to do every single time. Yeah, we're all big adults, but guess what? That doesn't matter when the gun goes off because you all have that big look on your face like you're a lost child in the woods all of a sudden. So let's zone in and say, hey, just so you know, this gun is safe. Action's open. 
I like to wedge a shotgun shell in the case of shotguns, so it's sticking out of the action, so it's visibly inoperable, will not fire, okay? Suggest you do the same. And then ask your hunting partner, is that gun unloaded? That's totally appropriate. I don't care how old you are, how many days you have in the field, how experienced your hunting partner is, ask. Tell you right now, if they get flustered by you asking, they haven't hunted as much as they say they have. If you leave those actions open, the worst case scenario, when a dog or a kid or you or a buddy or whoever tips something over in the blind, is you're going to have to do some cleaning of the gun, which is much better than cleaning the other stuff that could happen in the cases we just mentioned. This week, we've got a very special episode with legislative coverage, but first, I want to tell you about my week. Old Snorticus did a great job in the high desert agricultural fields above the Snake River picking up Canada geese. Our buddy Brad Leone joined us. All right, so today we're going to be making some mustard from scratch. Brad was on Snort's first real deal serious pheasant hunt in South Dakota a few years ago, so it was a fun reunion. We put out a lot of decoys, the birds cooperated, and happy to report that both Brad and I shot pretty darn well. I've been experimenting with some new choke tubes and shot size combinations. Carlson's Bone Buster Extended Range Choke with Federal 3-inch Number 4 Bismuth has really impressed me. It's like a magical combination. I would say 95% of my birds have been dead on impact, and by the time the dog brings back the other 5%, their head's hanging pretty low too. On top of that, does not seem to tear up the birds. Every once in a while you get some real trauma, but for the most part, dead bird, beautiful meat. But what was even more impressive is how noticeably happy the little snort dog is when retrieving big Canada geese. That little girl has an extra gear when it's honker time. Super fun to watch, and you will be able to see this for yourself on a future episode at TheMeatEater.com. Be sure to check out my buddy Brad's new YouTube channel, Brad Leone, Local Legends, and making it by clicking on the link in his Instagram bio or searching Brad Leone on the YouTube machine. If you don't know this lanky good timer, you should. He can sling a shotgun and make a fantastic Canada goose breast. Great hunt and a great way to end the general bird hunting season. Moving on to another packed legislative desk. Breathe deeply. Exhale long and slow as if through a straw. Reduce that heart rate and prepare to inhale knowledge. In North Dakota, HB 1377 would allow party hunting for deer. This is not some kind of frat house deer camp mashup. Firing a gun while intoxicated is still very illegal and very unsafe. Instead, this bill would allow a party of 10 or fewer individuals to take as many deer as the number of valid deer licenses in the party. Each person must carry a valid combination license, but it would no longer be a one hunter, one deer situation. This bill has been referred to the Energy and Natural Resources Committee. Vermonters have several bills to consider this year, one of which would allow landowners to prohibit hunting and fishing by painting purple paint markings 8 inches high and 2 inches wide. Like many northeastern states, Vermont allows hunters to access private property unless the landowner posts new signs each year expressly prohibiting access. 
Listener Ben McKinney wrote in with his perspective, which was giving landowners the easy option of permanently marking their properties with purple paint could mean less access for hunters. According to Ben, quote, the idea of people painting their trees purple to permanently keep people off is ridiculous. This screams flatlander or out-of-stater. And indeed, much of our legislature is made up of transplants who don't respect our traditions. Holy cats, Ben. Do I feel you there? Just like you looked into my heart here in Montana. Now, if you Vermonters or anybody who likes to go up and hound hunt or partridge hunt in Vermont want to weigh in on this bill, the number is S22. We'll have this at the AskCal at the Meteor.com page. If you're driving, you know, and you want to be safe. Over in Texas, the legislature is considering a raft of gun-related bills this session in the wake of the mass murder in Uvalde last year. These include bills to raise the age of firearm sales to 21, ban most private gun sales, ban assault weapons, impose a three-day waiting period, and tax assault weapons by 1,000%. It's unlikely the deep red legislature will pass much in the way of gun control, but you Lone Star State residents should still pay attention. For links to the bills and how to contact your representatives, check out themeateater.com forward slash cal. Tennessee. House Bill 265 would prohibit the Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency from banning the importation of an animal carcass if importation of that carcass is otherwise permitted under state and federal law. This bill is aimed at restrictions from the Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency on importation of whole deer carcasses from states with confirmed CWD cases. Hunters can still import meat and antlers from out of state, but carcasses have to be processed according to agency requirements. This bill would remove decision-making power from the agency and give it to the state legislature. In South Carolina, The legislature is considering a bill to dedicate more money to conservation efforts in the Palmetto State. Bill 280 is being called the South Carolina Conservation Enhancement Act. This bill would create a dedicated funding source for the South Carolina Conservation Bank. This bank hands out grants that conserve natural resource lands, wetlands, historical properties, archaeological sites, and urban parks. The bill would take 25 cents from the state's deed recording fee and send it to the Conservation Bank. I like that a whole lot. That money would otherwise go to the state's general fund, but this bill would make sure that money goes directly to the conservation work instead. The bill number is 280, and it's been referred to the Committee on Finance. In Rhode Island, House Bill 5089 would require that when a person injures themselves or someone else with a firearm, bow, or crossbow while hunting or trapping, the Emergency Responding Service must immediately make a report to the Department of Environmental Management. State agencies require accurate information to make good policy decisions, and this bill looks like it's geared towards making sure the Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management has good info on hunting accidents. Down in Oklahoma, or the Sooner State, Senate Bill 910 would institute a velvet buck season beginning on the Saturday morning prior to the last weekend of August to the Sunday evening of the last weekend of August for a total of nine days. This season would only be opened in counties where the Wildlife Conservation Commission deems the population can sustain it. Only airbows and archery equipment will be permitted during this season. 
If you are wondering what the hell an Arabo is, man, I'm right there with you. Join the club. Two other bills in Oklahoma are designed to prioritize in-state hunters over out-of-state hunters. One bill, dubbed the Oklahoma Hunters First Act, would require the Wildlife Commission to issue 95% of the total number of issued tags to Oklahoma residents each year. Another bill, Senate Bill 917, would increase non-resident hunting license fees for deer, antelope, and elk to $423. The current fee for these species is between $279 and $305. The bill would also increase non-resident bear license fees from $500 to $623. To weigh in on any of these bills, get in touch with your Oklahoma representatives sooner rather than later. Now, if you want my take, or you don't, I'm still going to give it to you on this one. All right? In-state versus out-of-state comes down to this little part of the wildlife that we don't like to talk about, which is money. Okay? Non-residents pay more for their opportunities to hunt in your state than the residents do. A lot of game agencies don't get any cash from the general fund, meaning that tag and license sales are the bulk of their revenue. You can ask just about any of these states where they get their money, and it's from non-resident license and tag sales, not resident. So, Here's an interesting conundrum. As we raise prices for non-residents, it also gives non-residents more of a voice in your state as that becomes more and more the bulk of the wildlife funding in that state. However, hunting is hunting and opportunity is the name of the game, right? Right. So when we talk opportunity, what we want is lots of access and very few people. That is why many states, such as South Dakota, have experimented, in my opinion, very successfully with providing that non-resident hunting opportunity, but at the same time, making those non-residents choose specific windows of time and spreading it out across a lottery, like they do for waterfowl. If you want to go out and hunt pheasants, you have to pick dedicated blocks of time. You can't just step over the state line and hunt them whenever you want. And Another thing, the math does not work in any of these Western states. I hate to tell you, a lot of Western states say 10% of tags are going to be reserved for non-residents. That sounds great, right? It's very simple. You have a thousand tags out there. 900 of those tags are going to go to residents, 100 to non-residents, right? Well, that's the way it should be. But that's not how the math breaks down because we complicate the tag system because we want to pander to every group that becomes a squeaky wheel. Landowners, guides, outfitters, non-residents, residents, even conservation groups who want to raffle stuff off. In my very, very rosy opinion, as all the infighting cranks up higher and higher, eventually it should crumble back down to the realization that this is public wildlife held in trust for the public and managed as such. And there just isn't any place for special favors or else we get into this crazy arms race of who deserves what more. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. 
Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on to the Empire State. New York Assembly Bill 849 would prohibit hunters from using lead ammunition, what the bill calls toxic ammunition. Instead, hunters would be required to use only federally approved non-toxic bullets and shot. This sounds simple enough. But the federal government, as far as I could tell, just keeps a list of approved non-toxic shotgun ammunition. This is the federal government we're talking about. New Yorkers might assume that any copper bullet would qualify, but at this point, that's unclear. Another New York bill, SB 2611, would decrease the age a person can get a universal hunting license from 14 to 12 years of age. 
Assembly Bill 110 would eliminate a traditional means of take by prohibiting the use of leg-gripping traps. On the other end of the spectrum, Senate Bill 870 would propose an amendment to the state constitution that guarantees a right to hunt, trap, and fish, quote, by traditional means and methods. To weigh in on any of these policies, get in touch with your New York legislators. Moving on to the Wolf Desk. A Mexican gray wolf is being sent to Mexico after officials say she wandered too far north of Interstate 40. The wolf, who the media and animal protectionist groups have named Asia, was seen wandering around Taos, New Mexico, which is about 95 miles north of the Mexican wolf experimental population area. This area, which extends throughout southern Arizona and New Mexico, was selected as the site of the Mexican wolf recovery because it corresponds to the historic range of this wolf subspecies. Interstate 40 was selected as the northern boundary of this range, and there are legal, ecological, and genetic reasons for wanting to keep Mexican wolves south of this border. Some animal rights and environmentalist groups, however, want to see Mexican wolves well beyond their historic range, which is why you've seen so much attention given to Asia. Our friends at the Center for Biological Diversity released a press release slamming the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish for capturing Asia and sending her to Mexico. One activist said, quote, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and New Mexico Department of Game and Fish are attempting to control wild nature by senselessly intervening in the lives of wild lobos. Instead, they should allow lobos to live wild and free from improper and unnecessary human intervention and control. Asia might be following the call of the wild, but there's good reason to keep the Mexican subspecies separate from its larger northern cousin. The first biologist to describe this subspecies in the early 20th century located their habitat as extending from southern Arizona and New Mexico down the Sierra Madre into Durango, Mexico. 90% of this range is in Mexico, while only the northern 10% is in the United States. More recent mammologists and taxonomists have agreed with this initial assessment, and it makes sense in light of a $10 term known as, get ready, phylogeographic concordance. Phylogeographic concordance describes the way ranges of independent species and subspecies align in the same geographic area. In this case, many species are tied to the Madrean Oak woodland area along the Sierra Madre range. These include cow's whitetail deer, Gould's turkeys, Mern's quail, and elegant trogon. If all of these subspecies share the same range, it stands to reason that the Mexican wolf subspecies would have that same historical distribution. Ironically, those who want Mexican wolves to establish a new range north of I-40 would likely be doing more harm than good to the species as a whole. The larger northern gray wolves are already moving into northern Arizona and New Mexico. If the two subspecies collide, biologists worry that the Mexican wolf genes would be overwhelmed by their northern cousins. This genetic swamping could spell disaster for the Mexican wolf if we don't do our best to recover these two types of wolves within their historical ranges. Here's Mexican wolf expert Jim Heffelfinger giving a presentation to the American Society of Mammologists. All those reasons um, are really a perfect storm for even just one or two of these larger wolves to come in and, and, um, and genetically swamp the Mexican wolf genome. The line between helpful and harmful human intervention is difficult to see and an easy one to cross, but if we're going to recover the Mexican gray wolf, we should do it right. If we ignore the historical ranges of these wolves, 
will end up with a hybrid Mexican gray wolf in the southern Rockies and almost no Mexican wolves throughout much of their historic range. At that point, I don't think we can say we've really recovered the Mexican wolf. Moving on to the public land desk. The Department of the Interior announced last week a long-term moratorium on mineral extraction in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness and surrounding watershed in northeast Minnesota. Specifically, the proposal would prohibit the development of any mineral leases on approximately 225,000 acres of Superior National Forest lands within the watershed of the Boundary Waters for up to 20 years. Lucas Leaf, a meat-eater culinary contributor and executive director of Sportsman for the Boundary Waters, praised the decision, quote, Across the country, the significance of the historic decision by Interior Secretary Deb Holland to implement 20-year protections for the Boundary Waters is being celebrated. Sportsman for the Boundary Waters would like to express our deepest gratitude to this administration for its leadership in protecting the BWCA from sulfide or copper mining. The Boundary Waters is America's most traveled wilderness area, but it's also covering lots of iron and copper ore deposits. Protecting the Boundary Waters from mining projects has been a top priority for sportsmen and conservationists for many years, and with good reason. The only lake land wilderness in the National Wilderness Preservation System, the Boundary Waters, covers a whopping 1.1 million acres. It boasts more than 1,200 miles of canoe routes, 12 hiking trails, and 2,000 designated campsites, and contributes up to $17.4 million annually to the recreation and tourism economies in Cook, Lake, and St. Louis counties. Gotta admit, I think the Boundary Waters being preserved like that, that giant sponge of fresh water in America, is a cool thing. However, that wasn't the only major piece of public land news last week. The U.S. Department of Agriculture finalized a rule to protect America's largest national forest, the Tongass in Alaska. Back in 2018, the state of Alaska submitted a request to increase development on Tongass's 9.3 million acres of roadless backcountry. In 2020, the Forest Service granted the request by repealing roadless protections for the Tongass in its entirety and opening the world's largest intact temperate rainforest to development. Last week's decision restores those protections to help ensure that the Tongass remains wild and road-free for future generations. It also helps to ensure that mountain goats, Sitka black-tailed deer, brown bears, and the black bears retain their excellent habitat within that area. I'm always in favor of added protections for wild places, but there is another side to this debate. Republican U.S. Senators Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan released a press release slamming this decision. They say the roadless rule should never have been applied to the Tongass, and they argue that 90% of the national forest is already protected under other designations. They say that removing the roadless rule protections would only allow development in 10% of the forest. In a final piece of breaking public land news, the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, announced this week that it had proactively rescinded mining permits for Bristol Bay. Bristol Bay in southeast Alaska is home to the world's largest salmon fishery, but for many years it's been threatened by mining operations. Sportsmen and conservationists have fought to protect this fragile watershed. It's honestly been a very bipartisan fight, and this latest announcement from the EPA is a huge victory. I'll have more details next week. Moving on to the Crime Desk. 
It's been a week of hunter-on-hunter violence over at the crime desk in Michigan. A hunter named Thomas Steele is serving a 60-day sentence for sabotaging another hunter's tree stand. The Michigan Department of Natural Resources reported that Steele began harassing another Upper Peninsula hunter back in 2020. At that time, Steele left a note on the other hunter's trail cam claiming that the spot on state-owned land belonged to Steele. A few weeks later, the hunter returned to his tree stand, climbed to the top, and fell 20 feet to the ground. He landed on his feet, but injured his back and ankle. He returned home and reported the incident to law enforcement, at which point an investigation was launched. Not to be intimidated, the hunter returned to that same spot and set up his tree stand again. Steele had been using a trail cam to spy on the hunter, but that turned out to be a mistake. Conservation officers obtained a search warrant for Steele's camera, where they found evidence of Steele sabotaging the tree stand for a second time. According to the DNR, Steele cut the straps in such a way that they would support the weight of the tree stand, but would break as soon as additional weight was applied. When Steele discovered that his trail cam was missing, he thought the hunter had stolen it, so he left threatening messages on his voicemail and disparaged him on social media. Eventually, he reported his trail cam as having been stolen and set up a meeting with a public safety officer. In that meeting, he admitted to sabotaging the tree stand, and he was charged in 2021. Along with the 60-day jail sentence, Steele must reimburse the victim's medical expenses for injuries sustained in his fall, and his hunting privileges have been revoked for an undetermined amount of time. In another case of violence between hunters, a North Carolina man shot and killed another hunter after an altercation over a hunting spot. Tommy Cass had permission to dove hunt on a dairy farm in Union Grove, a town about 50 miles north of Charlotte. But another man named Dale Hagg did not want Cass hunting on the farm, according to the Iredale Free News. The two had been in a years-long dispute over Cass hunting on the property, and on September 7, 2020, that conflict turned deadly. Hag confronted Cass while Cass was hunting with some friends, and Hag said something to make Cass push him to the ground. Hag pulled out a handgun and shot Cass in the face, killing him instantly. At the trial last month, Hag claimed he saw Cass reaching into his coat, and he was in fear for his life. The jury didn't buy it. They convicted Hag of first-degree murder, and a judge sentenced him to life behind bars. Over in Indiana, a property caretaker was shot after confronting four people who were hunting on private property without permission in southwestern Union County. The caretaker survived, but as far as I can tell, law enforcement has yet to identify the four suspects. I've reached out to Union County officials. They'll update me, but, you know, you hear something. Reach on out. A-S-K-C-A-L at TheMeatEater.com That's all I've got for you this week. Sorry to end things on a bummer. Remember. If you're a good hunter, you can hunt up another spot. Deadly confrontations are only good if the doves die, not the dude next to you. Anyway, that's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. And let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Also, if you're staring out through the bleak gray polar winter, just itching to get out there and drop some trees, sharpen up that yard, Go to www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need and won't try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again. I'll talk to you next week.
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.